Hey, it's Dr. Whitney. I'm an author, a coach, and a mama to two growing girls. Yep, I do it all. Well, actually, that's not true. I used to do it all. Now, I only really do the things that matter most to me. If that feels too good to be true, it's not. Here's the thing. Before I became a mom, I was totally thrilled with the idea of doing everything and being everything to everyone. I was told that if I just kept swimming, everything would work out fine. But I was dead wrong. Hustle culture, perfectionism, and the endless hamster wheel of work mom life weighed me down. That feeling of never giving enough but having absolutely no more to give brought me to my knees. My first daughter, who was diagnosed with autism this year, was an endless well of needs. My relationship with my husband was full of more resentment than love. Our second daughter felt left in the dust and told me one day she thought I didn't love her. But I couldn't get off the roller coaster of my working mom life. I was heartbroken, but I was also exhausted and hardly ever the joyful present mom or career woman I always thought I'd be. Making time for activities that fed my soul on a regular basis? <laughs> what time for that? And as a result, I wasn't as effective at my job. I didn't show up as my best self at the office. My performance suffered at home and at work. Do you identify with that? To feeling completely overwhelmed and overworked? To drowning in mental clutter and a sea of stress? To wishing you had more to give at the office and at home? That was me burnt out and ready to call it quits until I decided I couldn't juggle that demand, those heavy burdens of life, of motherhood in the workplace without a sustainable system I could use to get off and stay off the hamster wheel. So I created a framework that worked for me, but also for all the other caregivers I connect with in my clinic and online. And now I coach career-focused caregivers to organize their stress and clear their mental clutter so they can live purposeful, aligned lives. I help overwhelmed moms get off the work-life home hamster wheel so they can be the parents, partners, people, and professionals they always dreamed they'd be. Are you ready to live a more joyful, productive, and mentally uncluttered life? To give more without draining yourself? To spend your time, energy, and focus on what matters most to you so you can thrive and everyone around you can too? Then go to modernmommydoc.com and click on coaching so you can be part of the momversation. Welcome to the Modern Mommy Doc Podcast. I'm Dr. Whitney Caceres. I'm a full time pediatrician and a full time modern mom. I speak and write about equipping mamas to raise resilient, healthy children and to invest in their own social-emotional health along the way. Each week, we'll give you the practical tools you need to win at parenting without losing yourself. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back, everybody, to the Modern Mommy Dog Podcast. I'm glad you're here with us. 
Today on the show, we have Monica Berg. She is the author of several books, but the one we're going to talk about today is her book entitled The Gift of Being Different. And I love that this is a book that has been written because kids, it's a book for kids, and kids absolutely need to know that they are special and unique and that their differences make them super strong. So Monica, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I'd argue that the book is for, it is of course a children's book, but I've gotten so much feedback from adults, parents, and just even adults who have read it. And it's taking them back to moments in their childhood. And they're saying things like, you know, I wish that when I had the struggle, my mom had handled it that way. Or, oh my God, I can't believe this is affecting me. They start crying and they're not really sure why. I think it's Mm -hmm. to your point, it's touching something that is definitely an issue that we all have. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think every single human being at one time or another, or for some of us, a lot of the time feel like, why am I not normal? Why am I not normal? Everybody else is more normal than I am, or everybody else has it all together than I do, or everybody else seems to be kind of like thriving in this different way that I am. And it takes a lot of introspection and a different perspective shift to be able to see that like nobody's normal and everybody's normal at the same time? Well, I think by acknowledging our own differences and being able to see other people's differences allows us to actually be more connected and be more one and cohesive. I think when we're constantly trying to say we're all the same and fit that, then what happens? You start to judge and you notice the differences and it creates more separation. So it's kind of backwards, really. Yeah. Tell us about the inspiration for the book, why you wrote it, and what it's all about. So our book, The Gift of Being Different, is my first children's book, but I've written other nonfiction books. And like the process I had with my other books, this was not the first book I started writing for children. It, though, became the more urgent, immediate one for me. And that's I have four children, and my youngest was eight at the time. And she had been struggling with reading and writing and math for since, you know, kindergarten, first grade, then she was in second grade. And at this point, other children are reading chapter books. They're starting to talk about Harry Potter books and it's, and she's struggling with, you know, writing a cohesive sentence or even being able to read more than one sentence without making a lot of mistakes and really struggling. And she had tutors after school for two hours. Then she had another two hours of homework. She was in a dual Mm. curriculum class. And I just saw her, she did her hardest. She's so resilient and she was persevering, but she was not making progress. On the other hand, she's very intelligent and she was able to create complex thoughts and thinking and answers to questions that the other children in her class couldn't do. So the teachers at first were really confused. It wasn't obvious that what she was struggling with was dyslexia. So then we got a referral. She went to a a phenomenal doctor who diagnosed her. And then I really wanted to sit with it and understand it more so I could see how to present it to her because I didn't want her to feel like she was less than. I wanted her to fully understand that it's a learning difference. And I wanted to make sure that she understood the definition of a difference in the way that I thought was most empowering. So I got a book called The Gift of Dyslexia. And I also wanted to just learn how her brain works, how she processes information. I wanted to fully see things through her eyes now that I understood you know, what it was. So 
at that time, I'm sorry, is this the long version of the answer? <laughs> I want the long version. Everybody wants the long version. It's way more interesting. <laughs> so at the time we were visiting LA, which is where we lived for many, many years. Now we're in New York and my mother-in-law was, was passing away. She was literally on her deathbed and it was a very chaotic time. So I had been sitting with this information for two weeks and I hadn't found the words to tell her yet. And I'm running to one thing to the next. I'm just getting out of the shower. She's brushing her teeth and she she comes to my bathroom and she out of nowhere says, do I need all this extra help because I'm stupid? And Mm -hmm. that was it. I was like, okay, this is now immediate and urgent. And she obviously is feeling things and that I didn't know she was feeling. So I stopped everything. We sat down on the bed and basically the conversation we had became the book. And I wrote that book in 30 minutes, but then of course it was, it's all of our, and this is a series of 10 so far, it's on being series and Abigail's the narrator, but it's really heart to heart conversations on life and the things that come up and pain and challenges. And then the spiritual execution or the spiritual approach to making what you think is the worst thing to really realizing it's your greatest gift. Yeah. I want to come back to that. And I want to ask you before we get to that piece of it, which I think is the heart of our conversation about just the dyslexia diagnosis in the first place and how you went about doing that. Because I know that as a pediatrician, that can be really tricky for a lot of my patients when they have learning differences or just are differently wired because of what insurance will cover, because of the way that referrals work, all of that. So tell me, did you have a struggle with that? Was it really easy to find the diagnosis for you and get the testing you needed? Love the question. I think New York City is really excellent in terms of providing care. One of my other children has Down syndrome and they're just, they really support, right? And we were able to find an amazing school called Windward that's here in the city. There's also a location in Connecticut that's specific for dyslexia and children that are also have a high IQ. So it was like custom made for her, but there's so many people that don't have access to that, but there are still teaching modalities that are very specific. And the truth is that dyslexia is called a disability and and it needs to be in terms of getting funding and getting sure. support. But I had a problem with the word, which is why I call it a difference and why I call it a superpower because my intention in writing the book wasn't to re-educate people about how the word disability started out as something very different and now has come into this thing that means an inability, right? And right. it's not. So instead I was like, okay, we're going to understand a different way. And then we can go back and forth between the two words. So that was the first thing. And I wanted her to, when we sat down to have this conversation, and it's interesting too, I have to say, because a lot of moms have come to me and they say, you know, my child has this or that, but I haven't spoken to them about it. And one mother came to me and said that three of her children have three different things and they're getting extra help and they're getting support, but they've never had the conversation. And do I think that's right? And I said, well, if your child feels different and recognizes that there is a difference between them and their peers in terms of learning styles and their ability, then I think it's definitely important to have that conversation because if not, you on some level by not saying anything could allow them to feel shame about what they have. Why can't you talk about it? I do think it's very important because then kids realize that they are different. And if you never give voice to that, then they think that, wow, we never spoke about this. Does this mean I should hide it? And then they start to fill in the blanks themselves. So when I spoke to Abigail about it, I pulled out that book, The Gift of Dyslexia. And I think the first thing for all parents really is become informed. You don't have to do anything, even if we're not talking about this, because I talk about many different topics to a different, a wide array of, of people. But 
first just find, get information, and then mm-hmm. you can decide what you want to do with it. You don't have to act, just be informed so you have options and you know what those are. So when I sat down with her, when she surprised me with that question, I said to her that you have dyslexia and it means that you learn differently and it's not a bad thing. We just have to find the way that you learn and we're going to get you the right help to really, that understands your brain, right? And everybody's different. And she knows how I feel about differences because of our son, Josh, right? With Down syndrome and how we've never made that something different in that way either. We've completely said everybody's different. You know, we all have strong suits. We have other things. So when I brought the book out in the margin, she saw a list of things that people with dyslexia have and also notable figures who've done amazing things that have had dyslexia. So I started reading and she saw that in the margin, I had written Abigail to a T and she said, what does that mean? And I said, well, that means this really describes you perfectly. And I said, I'm going to read the list to you and tell me if you feel this way. And as Mm -hmm. she's hearing the list, she's like, yeah, that's me. Oh yeah. I do that too. And suddenly she felt like it wasn't just me being her mom and that I'm biased and I'm saying all these great things, but that there were, there were facts, there were science, there was information. And there were people that she respected that she could relate to like Steven Spielberg and Albert Einstein. That was like, okay, wait a second. I understand that I don't understand it. And dyslexia is a scary word, but there's some things here that sound kind of interesting and and I'm open to it. And then she was able to turn it around the next day. She went to her siblings, she went to everybody she saw. And she's like, I have a superpower. It's called dyslexia. What's yours? <laughs> that <was it. laughs> That's awesome. I love that. Well, I think I agree with you. Knowledge is knowledge is power and helping our kids to reframe their differences into this is a superpower. This can be a gift is so important. My daughter, before we knew she had autism, used to tell me, Mommy, it's like I have Elsa. Like it's like I'm Elsa. I have these this like power, but it's like uncontrollable. So when I get angry about something or when I feel like I'm overwhelmed by something, it's like psh, my ice just goes everywhere. And like, what's wrong with me? There's something wrong with me, right? But just like Elsa, when she has her power and it's harnessed, then it creates all these beautiful things. I love so, that. Yes. So eventually you know, we got the diagnosis of autism and she has the type of autism that would have, you know, 10 years ago, probably been categorized more like Asperger's. And so when I first said autism, she looked at me and said, I don't have autism and I don't want that. And I was like, well, why? She's like, because autism to me means the kids that are in like the classroom that don't talk and that clap their arms and, you know, that have a lot of behavioral problems at school. And of course, those kids are just differently wired as well and beautifully wired. But for her, she felt that that didn't accurately describe her and that she didn't understand, like, how could I put her in that same category? And so similar to you, I started really doing my research on who are the amazing people in this world that have done awesome things and that are only able to do them because of their autism, you know, because of the way their work, their minds work, they're able to think in these really complex ways or create kind of like beautiful inventions or things like that. And so as we went through and I started to read her books about them or at the library, talk about them, she felt seen. She felt like she connected with those people And it made it so that she could understand this is something that could be really powerful for you if harnessed in a way that was useful to you. 
I love that. It's such a parallel story. And first of all, your daughter sounds awesome. Oh, yes. And so <laughs> self-aware and articulate. That's amazing. How old was she when she had the diagnosis? So she was seven when she had the diagnosis. And for a long time, the diagnosis that we had for her was just, I'm doing like air quotes, just severe anxiety disorder, dysregulatory mood disorder, like dysthymic disorder, which means kind of like always like upset or always sad. And so I know a lot of grownups that are that must yes, have that totally, totally. And so I think the difference for us actually with the with the autism diagnosis was that autism is like such a way of wiring that really describes it a way that a person is. And kind of with anxiety, the way that you often treat anxiety or that psychologists at least approach anxiety, it's a lot about like extinguishing behaviors. So trying to like, okay, you're anxious about going to the park. What we need to do is slowly make it so you're able to go to the park. And we need to like, kind of like keep on pushing you to do that. And the way that a lot of people approach autism, I mean, there's two school, a lot, a lot of schools of thoughts, but a lot of it is about, especially in the last decade or so has been about as an autism community, this is the way we are. We are special. We have all these gifts and we of course have to function in a way that is compatible with society, but it doesn't mean that we have to like shift every single thing about us in order to function there. And so for us, it actually was a huge, like aha moment and change in the way that we parented her. Yeah. In terms of being able to say like, oh, she gets overwhelmed easily. Okay. Well, it doesn't mean we'll never, ever have her be part of any activities, but we're not going to be like, like she, she wouldn't learn every time that she went to a birthday party by us having her be there 10 minutes longer. She wouldn't get more and more comfortable with being at a birthday party. Exactly. You know what I mean? I love what you said about, how did you put it? You said to be more comfortable in the world. It's not like, that's the thing. She's not what we've done for any difference until now is that you need to conform to fit in to the way that our world is. No, I'm sorry. Actually, the rest of us need to become more tolerant, more conscious and understand that everybody is different, but some people's differences are more obvious. And by Mm -hmm. the way, I would guess, and I want to ask you, once you got the diagnosis for your daughter, probably the behavior changed just a bit because you didn't have those expectations of her and she felt seen and heard and she had yep. a place to feel what she was feeling and be the beautiful she that she is. And that's the point of the book. And that's the point of my message for all the books that I write for children or for adults. It's enough of this you know, cookie cutter, you need to change to make all yep. of us feel more comfortable and you need to change because that's the way the world is or it's always been. No, actually, that's not yep. the case. Mama, it is here and available for download. It's the new Modern Mamas Club app. We are so ready to join you on your personal journey from conflicted to centered. We want to take you on an evidence-based path from feeling conflicted all the time, from feeling pulled in all kinds of directions, from feeling burnt out to feeling really purposeful and aligned. As you move through your working motherhood experience, no matter what is happening around you. So go check it out in the App Store.
No, you're absolutely right. Her behavior changed and my behavior changed. So she was able to be more articulate about where she kind of was in terms of her decision-making about what something, what worked for her. So she would say, for example, previously she would have just said, I don't want to go to that party. I don't want to be with those people. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. We would have said, come on, you know, you need to go. What's the reward for you to go? Come on. It'll be fun. <laughs> and now we were able to say, is it because for you going to crowds with a lot of people just isn't your jam? Or is it more that you know you actually would enjoy it if you got there, but the thought of going scares you or gives you a lot of worries? If it's the latter, then we should try, right? If it's the former, then totally. Let's not go. Who cares? We don't need to go to a party. Love. You know, last night, my daughter had a friend over and we had an event to go to. And my daughter, Abigail, called her older sister who goes to George Washington University. And she said, my friend's here and she has math homework. And th- this friend goes to a different school and it's, you know, she doesn't have dyslexia. Mm-hmm. And she, and Abigail's like, and I don't understand it. So can you help her? But I have to tell you, I was upstairs in my office and I was listening to this conversation and I thought, wow, she said it without any negative emotion, not a comparison, yeah. not like she, I don't understand her math. So she's smarter. I mean, I was like, I remember being that age and any difference like that was like the end of the, it must mean it's proof that I'm stupid, you know? Yeah. So I just think when we start to have these conversations and we give a space for it, I don't care what you call it. I don't care if Mm -hmm. you call it autism. I don't care if you call it dyslexia. I don't care if Mm -hmm. you call it a difference or a disability. I don't care. I think it's the consciousness behind it. And I think that when they know that we are all different. Some differences are more apparent or obvious, but it doesn't make them better or worse. It just makes mm-hmm. them shinier and more sparkly, more noticeable. Then people have the ability to be really healthy adults and we'll have a better world and a happier place. Yeah, 100%. Now, I want to know about the intricacies of writing this book with your daughter. Were there things that you planned on writing and she came in and said, oh, no, 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 that's not my experience. We have to change this. Or were there points of input that you thought were really interesting that she contributed to the book? So here's the thing. my I am very inspired by life and by people in my life, especially those closest to me. So my children are content very often. So is my husband, myself, right? So a lot of the, she is the narrator, but out of all of my kids, she's the most that when I look at her, I'm like, oh my God, I felt that at her age. Like Mm -hmm. she says things and does just a look in her eyes when she's coming to tell me something. I, it's exact. So in some way we're both the character Mm -hmm. and we talk about, and I've just felt so great that she felt comfortable enough to come to me and ask me the question of, am I stupid? Because I remember thinking that as a child and I wouldn't have asked my mother that I didn't feel comfortable or safe enough to be that vulnerable. And I'm not blaming my mother. It's just that Mm -hmm. that was the relationship, right? So the book is just, it's us, it's our conversations and it's our life. And then I would write something and I'm like, what do you think? She's like, no, I wouldn't say that. Or no, I don't, I don't, I, you know, and then she'll add that, or she asks really profound questions that then get me thinking, and then I'll ask her a question. It's very much that kind of organic, messy, unorganized way, which I think is the magic. 
Totally. It's interesting. One thing you said about our parents' generation, and again, not to pass judgment on them because we've learned a lot over the last 20, 30 years. They did their best with what they they did their best with the information and training they had. But I do remember as a young kid, I totally had anxiety. And looking back, you know, I didn't get a diagnosis till I was in my mid 30s. But looking back, I remember in the mornings before school, I would throw up like as like a six-year-old or like a seven-year-old, I would go to the bathroom and I would get nauseous and I would throw up. And my mom and dad, bless their hearts, went through like so much medical evaluation for me to see what is the cause of this. And, and in the end we're like, Oh, you must have an allergy to red food dye number six, five, four, two, one, you know, like who knows? And in the end, I know that it was actually just this difference that I had and that I probably just needed to learn better coping skills and have some more tools in my toolbox to be able to deal with what I was feeling in a way that didn't let my body be the one that kept score, right? Right, What was happening in my brain. Have you read that book, by the way? It's a good book. Me too. I quote him all the time. It's so good. So good. (laughs) And so I just think about that for, for... us as well for this generation that we have an opportunity, not again, that our parents were doing things intentionally, but to be so intentional and attuned to our kids to be able in my office, when you're coming to the doctor to think about the mind body connection, maybe the physical thing that you're experiencing is in your physical body. Maybe it's coming from your brain. You know, I could imagine if your daughter had dyslexia that went undiagnosed for a long time, that could have caused her a lot of anxiety or depression if she was feeling like she was stupid all the time and no one said, no, you're not. A thousand percent. And she started in second grade, she started to say, you know, I really, I don't think this school's for me. I don't like the school. I'm like, well, what is it? But she didn't, you know, now that we're promoting the book, I'm hearing stories that actually happened in school that she never shared at the time. I mean, we mm-hmm. were on it pretty quickly as soon as we realized that there is really something. It was just a few months. So I, I think she's not damaged. But, but you know, kids, they're not going to come. It's just the, it, it takes them time to process what they're yeah. experiencing also, right, and to yeah. be able to articulate that if ever. Does she come and do stuff for promotion with you? Has she gone on any interviews with you and been on TV with you? Anything like that? So not TV, not yet. I did that alone so far, but we are pitching it. She has been on podcasts. She was, because I have a podcast also with my husband Mm -hmm. called Spiritually Hungry. She was on that. She interviewed us and she's loving it. She's really, you know, holding her space. And it's interesting too, because when we do book signings, and she spells the word incorrectly, or even if we send a book to somebody and we enclose a letter, and she's like, oh, I said, Abigail, this is your uniqueness, and it's your beauty, and it's part of what the book is about. It's beautiful. And everybody will still understand what it says. And I don't correct her, and I don't, and she, you know, and it's it's just so great to see. It's really great to see her feel empowered, and more than anything, the letters that we get from children and from parents this one letter, honestly, it's like one of the most beautiful things I've ever received. The mother saw me on Good Day New York and she decided to buy the book and she received it while her kids were still at school and she started crying right when she read it. Mm-hmm. Then when her kids came home, her older daughter read it to her seven-year-old who's dyslexic and they start crying. And the mom was saying how at her school, you know, they had IEP exams for whatever reason, they, they weren't getting the support. One teacher said, you know, your, your, fa- your daughter's too far gone we can't even help her, you know, Mm -hmm. things like that, that nobody, no mother should ever, no parent should ever hear that. So 
after they read the book, the daughter, they sent me the picture of the daughter holding the book, reading the book, and she's running around the house dancing and singing and saying, mama, there's someone like me in the world. There's someone just like me. And it's like, I mean, I know I cried like for, I mean, and she was a stranger, right? We met and we bonded over this thing. And, and that's the power I think of sharing your story and making sense of things that are painful and hard because everybody has that in life. That's part of life, but we're not meant to suffer. And from every challenge, there's some, there's a beautiful gift waiting, but you have to be able to change the way you see it. I just had someone on the show who said their favorite quote was, I'm going to get it wrong, but it was from Bob Marley. And it was about how you never know the depths of your strength until basically you have to dig down deep and access it. And I think that's so true. I think that for so many of us who have kids, who have differences, who struggle, who feel like I'm alone, who feel shame, when they see themselves when they, as as who they really are, as those superheroes with those superpowers, with Elsa, with her power fully harnessed, it's like even more amazing than if it had never happened at all. So I'm yeah. really, really inspired by this book. And I think so many kids and parents are going to see themselves in it. I agree. Tell us where folks can find out more about you, about your other books and also where they can purchase The Gift of Being Different. So you can purchase The Gift of Being Different from Amazon. You can buy my books, Fear is Not an Option, and Rethink Love there as well. My blog is RethinkLife.today. My podcast is Spiritually Hungry. And my social media is Monica Arberg at MonicaArberg74. Wonderful. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Hey mama, if you want more of the Modern Mommy Doc podcast, make sure that you click subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd also be so honored if you shared with your friends and on social media with the hashtag Modern Mommy Doc. If you share about something that inspired you or that you learned from the podcast, we'll be sure to share it on our social media as well. Thanks for listening.